uh, part of our time talking about them, questions that really spoke to your heart, uh, opportunities that you've had to, to speak to someone. I am praying that this will be a time where you can say, hey, I went to the barber shop and the, 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 gar- the guy that was cutting my hair asked a question and I was able to talk to him about my faith. And so the introduction there, it uh, says it's on page, uh, it's not an actual number, it's on the lettering there, the Roman numbers. And it's just talking about why this book was written and uh, all of the heart behind it. And so uh, it just says here, it says, In this little book, we'll set forth on a quest for answers to that question, why? It will require just what the shepherds did, just what the wise men did, and even what Joseph and Mary did. We need to travel to Bethlehem. Through many years have gone by, and that stable is long gone. We need to concentrate our gaze upon the midst of time and look upon the child whom the shepherds adored. And so that is my prayer, that this Christmas season you will really focus in on Jesus and what He means. And so on page 1, the first question that we see is prophecies. Why the prophecies? If you have your Bible and you would flip there with me, Someone could find Isaiah chapter 7, and these are all in this book. We see Micah chapter 5, and you can see here it talks about all of these questions. On the top of page 3, it says, in that paragraph as you're looking for that, just when people most needed hope. God sent spokesmen to offer a foretaste of a better future. I underline that in mind because when you think about the world that we live in, they need hope. I've done a funeral yesterday and I have a funeral to do on Saturday. And what people need is hope. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians that I don't want you to be ignorant about the resurrection. I don't want you to be hopeless like people who have no hope but that we, we will be quickly changed. Those of us who have gone on to be with the Lord, one day, body and soul will be reunited. And so if you find Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, if somebody would read that verse for us. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. Amen. So Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus would ever be born. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, the concept of a virgin giving birth is not a natural concept. And so we can talk to people about this was something God had planned. God had planned for your life and for mine. If you found Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 2, if somebody would read that. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Amen. So he begins to talk about where he would come from. And most of us have been in church so long, we know these, right? We know the hymns, we know the Christmas songs, but yet, what good is that knowledge? if it doesn't increase our love for the Lord and give us the confidence to talk to other people. We do not believe a book 
that is full of fables. We believe in a God who became flesh, and the Word is perfect. And we can use the Word to discuss with intellectuals, with children, with business peoples, with the person you work with, that there is evidence in this book to point you to the Savior that loves you, that died for you. And so uh, I just want to really encourage you with that. Uh, Isaiah 53, if, if somebody would flip over there, um, we see again Isaiah talking about this Messiah who would come. And there on page 3, if you like to, to read along with Dr. Jeremiah, it says at the second to last paragraph, the people of Israel could hope for a better time, including forgiveness by the God they had abandoned. The coming king would prove that God had never abandoned them. If you look at studies, the number one thing that people struggle with at Christmas is the feeling of abandonment. Whether they've lost a loved one and they feel alone, whether their children or grandchildren don't come and see them, uh, whether their families are broken and dysfunctional and they don't have that closeness. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, we're in McLeansboro. We've got more family than we want to be around. I understand that. But most people are not that blessed. Most of us are still blessed to have the people we love around us. But many people are not. And so that statement that the coming king would prove that God had never abandoned them is something of great hope. If someone has Isaiah 53 and verse 3 and would read it, and someone would find Isaiah 53 verse 5 and read it as well. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Amen. So it talks about our rejection of him, and then in verse 5. That he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace upon him, and I did Amen. So yet he did not forsake us when we forsook him. And so I hope that you will study that first question and really dive into that. The second question, if you want to turn over to page five, is why did God become a man? And there on page 5, David Jeremiah describes it like this. But God wanted more than us just to have life. He wanted friendship, so He created mankind. This would be His crowning work, a manifestation of life that would reflect His own beings. Rocks, trees, stars, and whales, these are wonderful, but they are not His children. Men and women, as He made them, would be the close-knit family of an infinite God, clothed though they were flesh and blood, an outrageous idea for communion it was. The perfect infinite spirit who is Lord of all and the tiny limited creature that calls itself human. Yet there was love between them until the children of earth stumbled. That's a story for another day. But the truth is that God's children chose disobedience and fled in shame from His presence. If someone wants to, we can see here uh, Psalm 8, verses 3 and 5. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, uh, to, 
to, to read that if someone wants to. Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5. Find that. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are people that you should think about them? Mere mortals that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. So we just see the creation and the beauty of God, but yet how little we are, but yet His love for us. And so uh, as we look at that chapter, there are two questions on uh, page 8. And I hope that you'll talk about these with your family and in your own personal time. This first one is a question I really enjoyed when I was studying through this. If you were God... Would you have chosen the same method to reach humanity? And immediately, the pastor answer was, oh, absolutely. And the more I thought about it, I thought, heck no. I'd have said, you did it to yourself, suffer. You made this mess, deal with it. But then I realized I'm thankful that I'm not God. But then I started thinking about, I would have done a different way. I'd have kept the bulls and the sacrifices. I wouldn't have sent my only begotten. And so I just really pray that you will think about that. The third question, and we're just going to very quickly go over these because I want you to realize that this study is for you at home to really dive in over the next 25 days or however long it takes you. Why Mary? Why was Mary chosen on page 9? If someone would... uh, Do me the favor of reading that second paragraph that starts, No one particularly, I would greatly appreciate it. No one particularly boasted of being a Nazarene. Fewer than 2,000 citizens called it home. The Romans kept a regional garrison there, meaning the place was considered more than a little unclean to most Jewish people. And when the town did produce a minor celebrity, a compelling new teacher... The hometown was one strike against him. For example, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can any good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel, however, was a later follower of the teacher. Amen. So we think that Mary was born in the wrong place. Um, we think about the background that she comes from, a small town, smaller than McLeansboro, a town for the Jew that would have hated this town. Because Why? It was full of non-Jewish people, Roman soldiers. Now, I just want you to think about this for just a thinking. We have an army base just west of us, right? And it is a huge draw, right? It it, it brings businesses, uh, and they work very hard to get along with the community. I mean, and literally you will watch congressional hearings about when they go to close a base that people freak out. Because it destroys the local economy, it destroys that whole community. But in this day and time, that was not the same feeling. You had thousands of Roman soldiers who did not care about God, who came from a culture who was very much focused on pleasure. And so what kind of businesses do you think followed Roman garrisons? I would say for pleasure, prostitution, Prostitution. wine, taverns, 
literally the things that the Jew would have considered awful. Right? It would have made you unclean. It would have literally like been when that neighbor that moves in and ruins your neighborhood. But by the thousands. And that is what the Jews would have thought when they thought of Nazareth. It's unclean. It's dirty. It's wicked. It's, as one person said, it's the off-ramp between Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It would not have been a town that the good Jewish person would have visited unless they have to. But yet, Jesus is born in Nazareth. And when you read over there in the second page 10, excuse me, you think about a young girl, Mary. She would have been doing normal things like grinding the grain into flour. It says there in that fourth paragraph, Mary was at that age, like most girls in this time, when she would have been thinking about her young carpenter, I don't know if you know this or not, but most young girls don't think about their wedding after they're engaged. They don't plan for it. They don't Pinterest it. They don't... I mean, literally, it consumes everything about them. And uh, and I'm going to get to do that a bunch, possibly. <laughs> but Mary would have been like every young woman. She would have been excited. She would have been thinking and planning for her life with Joseph. But yet, her life was beginning and getting ready to be dramatically changed. Over there on page 11, it's the first big long sentence. David Jeremiah writes these words, And then in the midst of routine and readiness, a single supernatural moment shattered the normality of her life. An angel stood before her as the first chapter of Luke's Gospel recounts. When did it happen? Perhaps Mary was kneeling beside her bed attending to prayers, beginning or finishing a day, how frightening the sudden arrival of a heavenly messenger must have been. Luke 1 verse 28 says right there below that, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you, Gabriel said. Now think about that for just a moment. A woman who had no external qualities, she wasn't rich, famous, she wasn't the most anything that we see, but yet God chose to reach down and work in her life. So if you look over on page 12, and I hope, like I said, you'll study these because that's the point. The first question there was, like all Jewish women, Mary surely knew the prophecy of Isaiah 14. Why do you think she was still so surprised when Gabriel came to her? You can know that good things are going to happen to somebody, but most of us don't think they're going to happen to us. And Mary probably had no idea. Never would have woke up one morning like, I think I'd like to be the one who gives birth to the Christ. I think I'd like to, I mean, some of you are probably, I mean, no one just thinks, I'd just like to give birth just for the fun of it, right? Or, literally, you look at the Bible, there's a reason it's so awful. The book of Genesis talks about it, the curse. But yet, Mary is chosen by God. That second question is one that I've really struggled with in my own life. When you read the Bible, are you quick to believe and accept its message like Mary? Or do you question and disregard it? I'm a questioner. I'm a doubter. Literally, 25 books. <laughs> That's how much faith I had in the Wednesday night crowd. No food, no Baptist. That was my motto. <laughs> and you have all 
pleasantly surprised. And so I just want you to really think about that. The next question we're going to look at over the next week is, why the song of Mary? You can see that on page 13. Many times we overlook Mary's response and what she said and what she sung. And if you'll turn over to page 14, I really want us to kind of look at this just overview tonight. If somebody there would read that one, two, three, four, fifth paragraph, Mary lifted her voice in a song of praise. Lifted your voice in a song of praise to a wonderful God. That song has been cherished through history as the Magnificat, which means it magnifies. In earlier translations of the Bible, Mary's first words were rendered as, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And that's what she proceeded to do. When we magnify, we enlarge or expand upon something. Mary was overjoyed to be in the presence of her cousin, who is obviously like a sister, but she offered that moment of their reunion to the glory of God. And so as you think about the joy that your Christmas gathering will bring you, remember that Mary chose to what? Use it to glorify God. And so my prayer is that at the end of this 25 lessons, if you do one a day, it will be when? Pretty close to Christmas. If not, like me, you miss a day or two. And, you're... and I'm hoping that you will take all of this and the goodness of God and how He has spoke to you and will use it to magnify. You say, well, Jake, our family Christmas, we don't do a lot of, of worship in Jesus. Then you do it. You talk about, talk about how good God's been to you this year. You talk about how amazing it is that God would love someone like you. How amazing that God's been to your family. The blessings that He has given you. Some of you this year will be able to go home and talk about how God has healed or God has worked in your marriage. Some of you may be able to go to a family gathering and say, you know, God told our grandkids she would never have a baby and that baby is here. Maybe you're going to go to your family Christmas this year and say, you know what, I lost someone I love more than anyone on this planet, but yet God's been with us every step of the way. Magnify Him like Mary. Uh, you look over there on that next page, and uh, down there uh, about halfway through, these are just some of the things she talks about how good God is to her. And so if somebody would read that, for example... Um, kind of all the way down uh, to before fittingly. For example, she compares his. For example, she compares his greatness to her own smallness. He took notice of his lowly servant girl. She attends to the greater perspective of God's workings through history. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Luke 150. She anticipates the themes her child will expound on three decades later. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. 152. She praises God for his faithfulness and mercy. He has helped his servant Israel and remembers his mercy. Amen. So it gives us even a blueprint of how we should praise God, what we should thank him for, how he notices someone like us. And I think sometimes we get to feeling too highly about ourselves, but yet the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. About how yet, even though God's blessing to us, it's not about us. It's that it would humble us. God's blessings to other people are not for them to become bold and 
proud in their own goodness, but in the goodness of God and His love toward us. But yet that one in verse 54 is probably my favorite. He has helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. The mercy of God is something that amazes me. And it's something that I struggle to extend. But yet God is so merciful to us. And just think about how much mercy He shows us. And so to this Christmas, as you go to your family gatherings, I pray that not only can you thank God for His mercy, but maybe you can show God's mercy to some people. Fifth question, why Joseph? Why Joseph? And this has probably been my favorite question so far to study. Uh, because there's so many thoughts about Joseph and, and all you know, he did at the beginning there about listening to God and not putting her away and all that goes on with that. And so pages 18 and 19 uh, are all marked up in mine uh, because of really that question, why Joseph? Why a carpenter? And uh, if you will bear with me since we're doing very good on time, I'd like for us to read quite a bit of this here and just his thoughts on this. You say, well, Jake, this isn't just Bible verses. No, it is a Bible teacher, and he could be wrong. But I think it is very helpful and very important. So on page 18, if somebody would uh, like to read, Joseph was a carpenter, and the rest of that page, I would uh, greatly appreciate that. And everybody's thinking, I hate reading in school. Suck it up, Buttercup. So, you don't have to if you don't want to. If you can read it, Dave. <laughs> Joseph was a carpenter, and as such, most probably a simple and practical man. He would have liked to feel of wood and stone the satisfaction of building something sound and useful. We can imagine that, like Mary, he envisioned an orderly and ordinary life. He would pursue his craft to maintain a good name in the community attend the synagogue and raise a family. Certainly Joseph's life was proceeding in that direction as he prepared for his wedding. In Jewish culture, unlike our own, the groom was the focus of a wedding. Joseph must have looked forward to the celebration and the simple life that would follow. Of taking Mary into his household and having children, the carpenter was fashioning a well-constructed life. And then came the dream. Let's stop here. Yeah, you can. And so I just want you to think about that couple that you know that gets married in high school, right? They never leave their hometown. They always stay local. They work. They raise a family. They're pillars of the community, right? That's Joseph's life, right? I'm going to be a carpenter. I'm going to make things for people. I'm, I'm going to go to synagogue. I'm going to be this good Jew. I've got this wonderful wife. I've got this wonderful family. It's kind of like my prayer when I first got called to pastor. Lord, send me anywhere that people don't know me. I have this wonderful wife. She's sweet. She's kind. I hadn't yet corrupted her yet. And, uh, you know, we've got this wonderful little girl. Our daughter had just, you know, been born in March. And, and you know, everything is perfect. We can show up to a new town. You know, we, we can just... It's, it's, it's perfect. It's the perfect setup. No past, no drama, no baggage, no... None of that. And then here we stand. Uh, Eleven years later. 
But Joseph, we see the Bible talks about his character and who he was and the impact that he had. And all this was probably on the go like many of you. And then comes the dreams. Everything was changed. And so we can read this uh, next paragraph and the next one if somebody would like to. We can wait there for now. But, but you can read another paragraph if you really want to. I oh. <laughs> I fear we were halfway through the room. Our readers were running out. But I don't think we can overstate the significance of this. I mean, today we know that sexual sin is, is running rampant. It has been shoved down our throat so much that we don't have a choice. We just accept it. We accept it in church. We accept it in the world. But what we know is that the Bible clearly talks about it. And Jewish culture would have very much recognized the significance of this. And so, as you can imagine, Joseph would have been heartbroken to think that Mary had done this to him. That Mary had done this to their reputation, to the life they were going to build. How could this have happened? But yet, even though... It could have rocked his world. I've never received news like this, but I would hate to. My heart breaks to read it. But yet even in that, he wasn't vindictive. He wasn't cruel. He wasn't mean. What did he say there? He wanted to quietly put her away. That doesn't mean to lock her in prison. It means to quietly divorce her, not to embarrass her. But as you can see here, I'm sure nobody talked about things like this around this small town. I'm sure no one would have noticed that this wonderful young girl that's been raised in our community who is not yet married is starting to look like she is pregnant. And you see here, there was anger and humiliation. I would say that's a, probably a pretty good description. But that second, first paragraph up top, if somebody would read that. However, in a dream... The angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I was listening to a pastor preach on this text because I try to listen to four or five pastors preach on everything that we're going to look at. And one pastor said, Do you wonder why he didn't speak through like Elizabeth? or a prophet of the day, why it had to be an angel. And he said, I think it's because who in their right mind would believe that, hey, your wife is pregnant, but it's not by another man. It would have had to be an angel of the Lord to believe. And I've really thought about that. I don't care who was on this planet that told me, I'm not believing it. 
But yet God knew and God had a purpose and a plan and spoke this into Joseph's life. And it goes on there and talks about the rest of the dreams, but you'll have to read those on your own time. But on page 20, there's a big long paragraph and it says, Why Joseph? And if somebody would like to read that, I would greatly appreciate that. Why Joseph? Just a different plan. God needed a carpenter. He needed a man who was sturdy, stable, and practical, yet sensitive to the voice of God. He needed one who would stand quietly with the young virgin who might have seemed an object might have seemed an object of ridicule, yet who carried in her womb the hope of the world. Joseph was strong but compassionate. He was able to lead the tiring expedition to Bethlehem and to the stable to love and encourage the mother of Christ. Joseph was the man of the house, the teacher, to give Jesus his first lessons in the law of God. And in Jerusalem, when the boy was 12, and it was became evident that his first allegiance must be to another father, Joseph was a man who humbly and silently stepped back and let God step forward. Amen. I have uh, highlighted that, that paragraph next to that in my book because I think if that was the characteristics of the earthly father that God wanted for his son, that's probably the earthly characteristics he wants for my daughters. Some of those things, sturdy, stable, practical, someone who's willing to work, provide, care for his family but yet sensitive to the first voice of God. Think about our culture. We teach our men that they should look like girls, dress like girls, act like girls. Or the other extreme, they should be hard and cold and and very unmovable. But yet what we see here is God doesn't want either of those extremes. Sturdy, stable, and practical, but yet sensitive to the voice of God. Why is the church in the mess that it's in? It's because men have abandoned their post. It's just that simple. It's too much about sports and football, and I love sports, all right? But if you sit by me next to one of my kids' games, you're going to realize I am wound tight, all right? Everything in me is saying, I'm not worried about getting thrown out here today, all right? I got bail money. And the other part of me is going, Jake, that will not look good, all right? But boy, officials need help. But anyway, <laughs> so... But yet, it's more important to skip church to watch football than to sit and his, hear the Word of God on a Sunday night. It's more important. Huh? Just on that. It was God's son, but Joseph had to teach Jesus about God. Yeah. And I never really looked at that. Yeah. So that's the difficult question of Jesus was fully God and fully man. But yet he would have grown and developed like a normal person. But yet that whole dynamic of of he had to limit some of his abilities for the flesh. But yes, it would have been Joseph who took him to synagogue. It would have been Joseph who took him to the festivals. It would have been Joseph that modeled the obedience that that Jesus lived out. And so as a father who has six daughters, it's my job to model that to my children. As parents and grandparents, it's your job to model that to your children. And I think it's very important there because not only did he teach them what God wanted, he taught them how to be loyal. 
Do you think Jesus ever grew up hearing, Hey, I know about your mom and dad. I'm sure everyone else believed Joseph when he told him, You know, God told me that Mary was faithful. And that the Spirit of God had put that baby in her belly. I'm sure everybody believed Joseph. This last week I was sitting in a hospital. And they were sitting around talking about people they'd went to high school with and the dumb things they had done and the mistakes they had made and the relationships. And, oh, you remember you dated so-and-so? Oh, he's a real winner now, right? Or, or have you seen so-and-so? Oh, man, he was good looking in high school, but he looks like he ate his twin, you know? And, or, uh, hey, that guy's not got no hair. And you're thinking, were they talking about you? I'm getting there. And I sat and I thought, I thought, boy, I'm terrified to get up and leave this circle. <laughs> Because I cannot imagine what they're going to say about me. People don't forget. They definitely don't forget the difficult moments, right? No one just would have saw Jesus as a little boy on the street and been like, Oh, that sure turned out to be a good boy for a mother like he has. But yet, you see what it says there? But yet Joseph would have stood beside her. He would have encouraged her. He would have been there for his wife. And so I just want you to really think about that when you look at Joseph. Question six, and like I said, we're almost done. Why did Jesus come when he did? And this chapter talks about how the Roman world had been set up uh, for the gospel to be spread uh, and for the roads and the bridges and the infrastructure and even today, you can go to certain parts of the world and still see Roman roads, and yet our county roads are all full of holes. And, um, but, uh, but yet you can see how they had built everything to be spread. And Jesus comes at exactly the right time and exactly the right place. And then question seven, and then I'll be done, and we can talk or leave or pray, whatever you want. But there on page 25, <clears throat> on the second paragraph, it says, It's hard for us to imagine the lonely spiritual journey of a frustrated would-be mother during Bible times. What have I done wrong, Lord? Why wouldn't you reveal my sin so I could atone for it? You see, that day was no ultrasounds, no blood tests, no well, you can't have a child because of a problem with the husband, or literally it was the woman's fault. And yet, Elizabeth would have spent her whole life wanting a child, but could not have a child. And if you've read the Old Testament, it's very easy sometimes to think that if you didn't do something just right, the consequences were always that result. But yet sometimes God didn't for a purpose. Think about Abraham and his wife. And all the mess that that came. If you're in Gary Browling's Sunday School class, you're looking at that right now. And um, But literally, what it would have been like in the community, you were expected that you needed to get married and have children and help the family, right? And, and reproduce and the more the merrier, right? And uh, uh, But yet, this woman who loved God and wanted to please God and please her husband couldn't have a child. That paragraph on page 25 and 26, if someone would like to read that, I would greatly appreciate it.
Zechariah and her husband was a priest. It made their problem even more noticeable. There would be whispering about the priest's wife who could find no favor in God's eyes. How Elizabeth must long for her daughter to help with cooking and cleaning. And one day to give away as a bride, Zechariah was going to have one of his sons just like any father. So it wasn't like they were just. The carpenter. This was the priest. This was a man of God. This is the person who, who should have had the favor of God, the blessing of God. And if he didn't, it couldn't have been his fault in this culture. So it had to be her. And so can you imagine all the times going to worship, all the times going to minister to people. Oh, well, you know how they are. There must be something really bad in their life because they can't have a child. That second paragraph there on page 26, if someone would read that. Luke begins his gospel with the saga of Christ. Oh, oh, I'm kindergarten teacher. I get real off. I can't hear what's going on, so I don't even know where we're. I don't know what just happened. But the nights were long, and God was silent, and the prayer was in the years past, and the time of gray hair and tired bones crept in the door. Amen. And I really wanted you to read that paragraph because while you might not be in this situation, I can promise you when you get together with people on this time of year, there are going to be some people who are wishing they had some things that they don't. And they have genuinely feel that they have missed their opportunity for the blessing of God. And there in that paragraph that skips the next one, it talks about their encounter with the child or the angel and the news of that they would have a child. But there in verse on page twenty eight, the first question, and we'll close. <clears throat> what are you longing for that seems far out of reach? Are you trying to make it happen at all cost? Or are you willing to let it go? The second question, have you had a season of doubt about God's promises to you? And how did you remedy it? And so, when you study these this week, you notice these questions. There's more chapters you read. You say, well, Jake, I don't want to do homework. I don't want to do Bible study. Suck it up, buttercup. It's part of being a growing, maturing Christian. Read the Word. Study about the Word. And so, uh, questions, comments, thoughts, um, I pray that you'll come back and we will talk about these chapters next week. Uh, we'll uh, then look at the next ten chapters because if you didn't figure out, seven plus seven plus seven is only twenty-one. And I didn't realize that till about 4.30 today when I said, I didn't give us enough weeks for this. So, it will not always be seven. Um, these are yours to keep, so you can highlight in them, you can mark in them, you can give them away after we're done. But I just really pray that you will commit. It's just 25 days or three weeks, or you might go home and read the whole book like I did, to really make that commitment that, Lord, this Christmas season, I am really going to seek your face and hear what you have to say to me. Anything tonight. Thank you for being here.